You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. Father, we confess in our song that we just sang that our hearts are prone to to wandering and to doubting and to, to fearing. And while some of these things are part of our natural human condition, we, we just want to acknowledge and confess that this is where we tend to be. And so we need you to work your power to anchor us to the truth, to anchor us to yourself. That we might be sure and secure in you when everything else seems unsure. Father, we confess, as we just sang, that you have been good to your people. You have been faithful to your people. And so we we raise an Ebenezer stone, a, a stone of remembrance, saying God has brought us this far. So as we open your word today and you stir in your people uh, through your word, a a heart of of readiness and waiting on you, would you cause us to remember your goodness and your faithfulness as the fuel for our faithful waiting? Speak to us through your word this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen, you can have a seat. Good morning. Try that again. Good morning. morning. Just making sure you're all here is all. That's it. Uh, You can grab your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 12, the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. If you need a Bible, some folks will be coming around and can uh, get one to you. So you can read along with us, Luke 12. And as you're turning there, if I were to ask you today, if you are, are you ready? You'd turn back and go, ready for, ready for what? What do you mean? If you're a student and you have a test coming up, are you ready? I just saw people shake their heads and say, No, I am not. Are you planning on running one of the events during the Fargo Marathon? It's in May, by the way, which is not that far away. Maybe you should start training, right? Are you ready? If that's your plan, you're like, oh yeah, I guess that's happening, isn't it? Right? If you have a trip on the calendar and you know there are things you need to do before you leave, are you ready? We're asking that question as elders, that readiness question Um, in relationship to the vision and mission that God's given us as a church in order to continue to be about the work of church planting and multiplication. Well, are we we ready to do that? Uh, What about the better utilizing this space here that we're in? We have a whole big empty upstairs that's just a big wide open space that is not really fully usable. And so if we want to do that, well, are, are, are we ready? Right? There's always a question of readiness attached to just about everything we do, big and small. Right? Everything from leaving the house to come to church this morning. Are you ready to go? Meaning, do I have my shoes on? If it's still cold and wintry here, which it is, do I have my coat? Parents in the room asking your children, where are your pants? You need to have them on to leave the house. Right? Adults to adults. Probably you put your own pants on. But someone asks you, did you grab your coffee? 
on the way out, right? Are you ready is the question that Jesus is essentially asking his listeners to consider in this passage we're in in Luke chapter 12. Jesus seems to be interested in how his disciples are living their lives, how they've structured and ordered their days in order to show some level of readiness. Are they living as people who are ready or not? And then the question is, real ready for what? So we're going to explore that today, but I want us to keep that simple question in our minds as we read our text and as we, and as we study. The question, are you ready? Sound okay? So let's read our text today. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 35. And we're just going to read through verse 48. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Luke 12, starting in verse 35. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes, Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. This is the word of the Lord for us today. And the main question we're asking when we look at this passage is, am I ready? Is he talking to me? And if we turn around into a statement, Jesus is essentially telling his disciples to to be ready. If he's not asking the question, he's just telling them, this is what readiness is. Is so, so that's kind of two big ideas today. One is be ready, which is what Jesus is encouraging his disciples, and the second is the question we're asking ourselves living ready. Like, what does it mean to be ready? How do I know? So, let's tackle the first one. Look at what Jesus says in verse 35. He says, essentially, be ready, and gives four examples of practical readiness that his listeners would understand. So, let's look at them together. Jesus says, stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. Those are both in verse 35. Waiting and watching for their master, anticipating his return, verse 36. And then he references being awake, staying awake, verse 37. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning, waiting and awake. Now, some of these translate to us more easily than others. So let's look at each one. Stay dressed for action. 
Some translations say, let your loins stay girded. Have you heard that phrase? Gird your loins? Right? It's not one we probably use regularly, but maybe we should introduce it back into our vernacular. I found a helpful illustrative guide for how to gird up your loins. I kid you not. It's on the screen. Right? How to gird your loins. It's funny, but, but here's the picture. Men in the ancient Near East would wear a tunic, a long uh, body length tunic, right? Robe of sorts. And as you can imagine, doing any sort of strenuous physical activity in essentially what's an ankle length dress is kind of, well, challenging to say the least. So girding your loins is essentially grabbing up the longer parts of your garment, tucking them under, wrapping them around and tying them off or tucking them into a belt. Why? So that you could run or work in the field or, you know, get into a fight if you needed to. You could move around more easily. It was an act of preparation. It was readiness for action. Dressed for action means ready. Right? Don't get caught with your tunic around your ankles. If I can say it that way. Now, because none of us are probably wearing floor-length tunics today. I mean, if you are, cool. But, but let's translate it, right? It's just, this is sleeping with your boots on. Or have you ever had a really early morning like flight or departure and you're like, I'm just going to sleep in my clothes, right? I'm not the only one who's done that, right? Staying dressed for actions j- just means this, being ready to engage at any moment. That's what the picture there Jesus is painting, something they would understand, something I think we can understand. Just being ready to engage, not caught unready. Let's keep going. Jesus continues. He says, keep your lamps burning. Now, we benefit from electric lighting and high-powered battery systems, right? We can have light essentially whenever we want. It's a modern satellite photo of the Middle East at night. Now, this screen's not as bright as as the, the side TVs. But you can see that even in, at night with our modern technology, there's light in places. Technology allows us to see more easily in the dark. But here's a picture of what the first century ancient Near East world would look like in the middle of the night in Jesus' time. It's really just a black screen, right? You can see people lighting lamps and fires, but from space, when it gets dark, here's the whole point. When it gets dark, when the sun goes down, unless there's an artificial lamp lit, it's, it's dark. You can't see. So Jesus is saying, if you're expecting someone to come, your house, which we'll get to in a second. You wanted them to actually find their way, you'd need to have a light on for them. Keep your lamp lit. And to do that, it was likely an oil lamp that was the picture. And so you'd need fuel for that lamp. You'd need to have the proper equipment. So the wicks that that actually uh, slowly burn the fuel would have to be carefully prepared. You'd have to have enough, right? So you could maintain a consistent light to shine all through the night until someone arrives. So you're prepared not only to wait, but you're ready with the light to welcome the one who is coming. See the the picture of readiness? I have all that I need so that I can keep the lamp burning all through the night. Third one Jesus used. He says, watching, waiting and watching. Be like the men, Jesus says, who are waiting for their master to come home. Right? They're, They're anticipating it. They're not distracted doing other things. Right? They didn't leave the house to go do something else, but they're ready. So that when you hear the commotion at the gate, even before he gets to the front door, 
it's opened, ready for him to come in. You're waiting and ready to jump up to open the door. That's the picture here. You're not distracted doing something else. And finally, Jesus says, verse 37, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake. The master of the house doesn't come in and find you with a little drool on your shirt and the Netflix screen saying, are you still watching? Some of you know exactly what this means, right? I do. <laughs> right? You're not asleep, Jesus is saying. You're awake and alert. So here's what he's getting at with these kind of word pictures. Readiness is shown in the way that we live, in the way that we prepare. The way in which we live shows that we're ready for the return of the master. So Jesus is kind of pushing on here. You're dressed for action. Your lamps are prepared and burning. You're alert and watchful and awake. You're showing in your actions what you anticipate is coming. And then Jesus offers both a blessing and a little bit of a caution. Verse 38, if the master comes in the second watch or the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Jewish culture broke the night into essentially uh, three sections or three watches. The first one when the sun first went down, the second one in kind of the middle of the night, and the third one in the wee hours of the morning before sunrise. So he's saying, if your guest, if the master comes, even in the middle of the night, or even way close to the beginning of the next day, you're still ready. Blessed are those servants, he says. Blessed are those who can stay awake. Verse 39, but know this. If the master of the house had known of what hour there of uh, the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. If you know someone's going to break into your house, we talked about this a number of weeks ago, you wouldn't leave, right? You'd stay and deter the thief from coming. This is like the classic Christmas movie Home Alone, right? You can't rob the house if someone is inside. Well, you can try, but you'll get paint cans to the face, right? The idea is you don't leave if you know your house is in danger. If you know when a thief is coming, you won't be unprepared. That's the picture. So therefore, the end of this little section, Jesus says, therefore, you must also be ready because, there's the four, the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He's talking to them about readiness and not just readiness like preparedness uh, for like, he's not talking about a bunker life mentality. I have enough dried food and I have enough dry ammo. I'm ready to go. He's saying, no, no, no. Are you ready for the return of the Son of Man? Because he's going to come in an hour you do not expect. Take care of your life now, knowing that Jesus is coming back. So what he's telling his disciples, even though he hasn't left yet, but he's starting to stretch their perspective out just enough, just beyond the here and now. Don't only concern yourselves with what's only happening here without looking at what it means Eternally. Author Randy Elkhorn has focused much of his writing and ministry on helping Christians build an eternal perspective. It's what actually the name of his 501c3 is Eternal Perspective Ministries. He says this. It's a great quote. He says, life on earth is a dot. It begins, it ends, it's brief. Life in heaven is an unending line extending from that dot. We live in the dot, but if we're wise, we'll live for the line. And so what Jesus is saying is live your lives in such a way that you're ready for Jesus to come back in glory. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. Stay awake. Be ready. Right? So we go, cool. Great. 
awesome. Point one, be ready. I get it. But what does that actually look like? Right? If we're standing there with Jesus' disciples and he goes, hey, live ready. I go, great. How? Am I, am I doing a good job now? What, what, what should I do? Right? What does it mean to be ready? Which leads me to my second point from this text. It immediately kind of points to that conclusion. Look at verse 30, 41. Excuse me. Peter. I love Peter. I really do. Sometimes I feel bad for Peter because he says the things that I would probably say, but I'm glad he says it and not me. Lord, he says, are you telling this parable for us or for all? I heard one pastor talking about this text who said, um, said it this way. Peter kind of asked the question that teachers sometimes hear from students. I don't know if there's any teachers in the room, but, but here's the picture, right? If you're a teacher in the room and you've prepared what you think is just a home run of an illustration, you think, I'm really going to connect with my students now. And you present it, and you just, you've nailed it. I mean, you have nailed it. You're like, I've connected. This makes sense. It's slightly cool. I, they, they're going to get it. And then the kid in the back goes, is this going to be on the test? like, were you listening? Right, that's the picture this, this other uh, pastor used that illustration. He told it better than I did. I just want to uh, let you know I didn't make that up. Right? Just a quick question, Lord. Are you telling this for us? Like, is this for the disciples? Or are you telling this for everyone else? Do I have to listen to what you're telling me? Is kind of what Peter sounds like he's saying. And I love that Jesus doesn't really answer Peter's question in the way he thinks. We've talked about this as well in these last couple of weeks, especially in these harder sayings. Jesus is like, let me ask you a question, Peter. He responds with a question of his own. Look at verse 42. So Peter asks, are you telling us this for us or for everyone? And Jesus says, who then is the faithful and wise manager? Pastor Ligon Duncan says, okay, he's going to tell you who it is who's ready right here. So if Jesus is going to tell you now what it means to be ready, we ought to be all ears. Peter says, are you, are you talking to me? Is this, is this for us or is this for all the other folks? And Jesus asked this question. Well, Peter, who then is the one who is faithful? Who's the faithful manager? Who's the one who is ready? Well, let's keep reading. He's the one that when the master is away, gives to the household their food at the proper time. Ready is the one who does all that his master has asked of him. That's what he's getting at. You see, Jesus is actually answering Peter's question, just not in the way that Peter was maybe expecting. Like, yes, Peter, this will be on the test. He doesn't say that. Jesus says, well, who do you suppose is the one who's the faithful manager? Peter, why don't you answer your own question? Because Jesus knows he's going to Jerusalem. Jesus knows he's going to the cross and into the tomb. He knows he's going to rise again to new and glorious life. He knows he's going to leave and prepare a place in the heavens. And left here to watch the house while he's gone are the disciples. I'm going away, Jesus is going to say. And while I'm gone, I'm entrusting you to take care of my household. And between this and the interaction that Peter and Jesus have in John 21, where Jesus looks at Peter in the face and says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, of course I love you, Lord. Jesus says, if you love me, Peter, feed my sheep. 
Peter, do you love me? Well, Lord, I already, yes, I just said yes. If you love me, feed my sheep. There's a parallel here. And I think this had an impact on Peter. Because listen to how Peter talks about the qualifications for elders in 1 Peter chapter 5. This is how Peter says, this is what good, faithful, if I use the, the terminology from our passage in Luke, household management looks like in terms of leadership within the church. He goes, this is how he talks about elders. 1 Peter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. Verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So there's some application that immediately comes to the surface here when I ask this follow-up question, how do we know if we're ready or what does ready look like? First, there's implication for those of us who would claim to be or, or be in a place of being elders or pastors. The flourishing and well-being of a flock, of a group of people, the flock of God, God's people, to whom we've been called to shepherd, should be our prime concern. Because this is a sacred stewardship that, with which we've been entrusted. Shepherd the flock. Whose flock? God's flock, not ours. For when the master returns, verse 43, blessed is the one who is found doing what the master has asked of him. And here's where the, 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 the text takes a little bit of a turn. Because depending on how faithful a job the manager or the, or the servant has done will determine the response of the master when he returns. We've talked about this before, right? Hebrews chapter 13 says, uh, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. When the master returns, there will be an accounting of how his house was cared for, how his servants were fed. And we as, are we as elders doing the job our master gave to us? Is the flock being nourished and fed by the word of God? Is the flock being protected against wolves that would come in and attack the sheep? Is the well-being of the flock considered? Are they being cared for? These are questions that we as elders and any who would profess to be elders or pastors should consider. We need to read this, this text with humility. And so Jesus, in, in one sense, looking at Peter and saying, Yes, Peter, I'm talking to you. I am talking to you. But I'm not only talking to you, Peter, because I'm also talking to everybody else. It's both and. Look down at verse 48. Everyone to whom much was given... Of him, much will be required. And from him, to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. Jesus says everybody is included. This is an Uncle Ben, Peter Parker moment for all my comic book nerd friends, right? With great power comes great responsibility. Thank you, some of you, for knowing that, right? Everyone to whom much was given, much will be required. Look at how Jesus describes the unfaithful servant, verse 45. I know I skipped down to 48 because I think that frames out what we see in verse 45. The unfaithful servant, this servant says to himself, well, my master's delayed in coming. And because he says my master's delayed in coming, he begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The unfaithful one is thinking really only of 
himself, his own power, his own position, his own pleasure at the expense of others. And particularly those, not just others in general, but those with whom he is specifically charged to care for at their expense. He takes for himself at the expense of others in the household. He's living in such a way that he must either think that the master really isn't coming back, or if he is, he must not really mind that I've basically enriched myself from his estate and mistreated his other servants. I mean, there might be other motives, but those are the two that come to mind that this unfaithful servant must be thinking. Look at what Jesus says next. Verse 46. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, right? This is a pop quiz. And will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Well, that got dark real quick. Right? I actually talked to a pastor friend this week who, um, as they've been reading through the Bible with their children, one of his daughters says, sometimes, like, I know Jesus is supposed to be like the, the loving, gentle guy, but sometimes I like the Old Testament better than the New Testament. And I was like, that seems odd. And he said, I know, but we've been reading through the Gospels and Jesus is saying some hard things where we're reading right now. And I'm like, oh, are you guys in Luke? Because <laughs> that's where we are. Right? Jesus says, the master of the servant, the unfaithful servant, when he shows up, he will cut him into pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Right? It has echoes of the passage we read just a few weeks ago, Luke chapter 12, verse 4 and 5. Don't fear the one who can kill just the body, but the one who can also kill the body and then cast into hell, right? Not only cut up, sorry if that's too graphic for you this Sunday morning, but also put with the unfaithful. Put out. Jesus is saying, don't be lulled into thinking that how we live here on the dot, to steal from Elkhorn, doesn't have consequences when that dot ends. It does. Instead, verse 43, blessed is the one who, when the master returns, is found doing what the master has said. So here's the, here's the big takeaway. Jesus, I think here in this passage, is talking about joy-filled obedience to God. Obedience is not a four-letter word. Readiness is not shown in what we say or what we believe, but by what we do. Our actions confirm what we truly believe. I think that's true. Verse 47, the servant who knew his master's will, okay, save that, the servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. That is this, or it should be the sobering part of this text. Jesus isn't speaking primarily to people who are quote-unquote out there. People outside of the church who don't know God, who don't know his word. Jesus is talking to those who know his master's will. He's talking to those who are on the inside. That they've been tasked with stewarding and shepherding the church. They've been welcomed in as disciples and offered the gift of the kingdom and are supposed to share that and serve one another with that truth. So if I can say it this way, we know better. Now there's a side note here. Jesus says, the one who did not know the will of the master, verse 48, he's still without excuse. There will be consequences for doing the wrong things, right? Ignorance of the law is not a defense. 
is essentially what he's saying. I, I didn't know that the speed limit was 35, officer. No one, no one told me, so I decided 80 was appropriate. I'm still getting a ticket, right? But to know the posted speed limit, to see the school zone sign or the little arm that comes out on the side of the bus, the stop sign, by the way, with the flashing lights, which tells you to stop, and you're like, ah, disregard. That's worse, <laughs> Right? It's a more dangerous thing. R.C. Sproul says this, to answer the question, what does the Lord require of me? We must ask another question. What has the Lord bestowed on me? Right? Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. Am I ready, as Jesus is asking? Is my life centered around what Jesus, my master, has said? That's the big question as we read this challenging text. Now, Put yourself in Peter's shoes or in the shoes of one other uh, listener in the crowd for just a moment. Because some of what you've just heard is, seems impossible. You're telling me that, that if I don't live my life as Jesus commands me to live my life, I risk being chopped up into tiny bits. Yes, that is what Jesus, I think, is saying. And that's particularly uncomfortable. And you might be feeling particularly uncomfortable right now as I say that. But this is not a discomfort we resolve by sidestepping it. This is a discomfort we resolve by dealing with it. Please listen to me very carefully. The gospel message that Christ Jesus, perfect, dies for my sin and yours, the gospel is the means by which God deals with our unfaithfulness. It's not sidestepped. It's dealt with. And the gospel is also then the power that fuels our joy-filled obedience and faithfulness. The gospel doesn't say unfaithfulness doesn't matter. The will of the master doesn't matter. To say it doesn't matter makes grace cheap. But grace is not cheap. Grace costs Jesus his own body and blood. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. We can't earn it, but it's very costly. Because we believe we are justified, that we are made right with God by faith and not by our works. That when we stand before God, we will not hand him a list of all of our good deeds of, look at my personal faithfulness, God. We're not going to hand him that and he's going to be like, looks good. No, no, no. We will say, here is the righteousness and perfection of Jesus. We'll hand him that. There's nothing in this passage that says you can, through your actions or through your works, make yourselves acceptable to God. What Jesus, I think, is saying in this passage is that by faith in him, you are welcomed into the household. You are made part of the family. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're given the privilege of participation in the life of a brand new spiritual family, this new spiritual house. And from that position, now as an adopted daughter, as an adopted son, as one in the house who's now been gifted by the Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you've been gifted and you're being now called to live out who you now are. We are not saved by outward obedience. We are 
but by our joy-filled obedience to Jesus, from that flows the reality that our hearts are being changed. It shows that the work of God is in us, saving us and sanctifying us. So please don't hear in this that we are justified, made right before God by what we do. But do hear that Jesus has called us to consider the shape and the focus of our lives, what we're living for. And if we have his end in mind as we order our priorities and fill our calendars. So when Jesus is asking, are you ready? He's asking us to consider in light of who you now are. How do you order your life? And I pray that by God's grace, my, my answer and your answer is this. Yes, Lord. By your grace, yes. That we are laboring with all your strength to feed and shepherd the flock of God that's among us. I pray, yes, Lord, that we are loving others with the love that which you've loved us. That we're willing and able to give of ourselves because you've given so freely to us. Yes, Lord, we are living by the power of your Holy Spirit to obey your will, to accomplish your purposes. We are living to see the knowledge of God and the gospel of the kingdom spread out among us. And that it's only by God's grace that we're able to respond in that way. This is not an exercise in patting ourselves on the back for how righteous we are. Each of us needs to hear Jesus and ask this question to us. Are you ready? And as we continue through this text, we can hear from Jesus the reminder that a life that is ready, a life ready with the return of our master in view is a life filled with grace-fueled, joy-filled obedience to the master and in service to others. Oh, Lord, make us ready. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you not based on our merit, but on the merits of Jesus. He's the perfect one and the righteous one. And through him, we are welcomed in as beloved sons and daughters. You've made us part of your family. We confess we fall off on one side or the other in trying to either earn our way to you or pretend that what you've called us to doesn't matter. And I, I pray you'd strip us from those broken views of who you are and who we are in you. That we would with clear eyes and full hearts more fully believe that there's nothing we can do to earn our way to you, to, to justify ourselves before you. And I also pray with clear eyes and, and full hearts that we would joyfully, willingly offer ourselves to you with a fresh desire to, to follow, to be obedient, to, to listen and to Obey what you call us to from your word. Not for position, but from our position. As we come to the table, would we see afresh what it costs to purchase us, to make us new? And would we be encouraged and, and filled and built up by your Holy Spirit to be nourished, to continue to follow you in the days ahead? We love you. We thank you for your overwhelming love for us, undeserved in Jesus. 
We pray you'd cause your people to worship you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.